welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Um, and different kinds of relationships. And so today we're actually going to be starting with Ruth chapter 1, and I'm only going to read um, a few verses. So this is verses 15 to 18. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. All right. Um, yeah, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the community and youth leaders here at Trinity Life. Shout out to my youth. Um, our church is kicking off a brand new relationship series called Friend Zone, uh, starting with Ruth chapter one. And it's all about relationships. So whether you're dating or married or single, like this will be relevant. And unfortunately, Mike has called me someone who's single, not married. I don't think I even have any friends here to give you guys a robust teaching on relationships. But all kidding aside, thankfully preachers never preach primarily from experience. We don't preach primarily from stories, but we preach primarily from the Word of God. And I've studied and I've prayed the Word of God this past week for you guys, and I believe that God has something for each of you guys. Last week, Adam shared, like, we had baptisms last week, and like, it, was, it was amazing. Like, it was so good. And uh, I turned to Justin, I was like, I've been baptized already, but I was like, I want to get baptized again. Like, it was, it was just so good. And so we're going to ride this wave, no pun intended, to today. And so I hope you guys feel that excitement. That wasn't even in my manuscript. So, yeah, so last week Adam shared about, like, this beautiful picture about this waterfall. I don't know if you guys remember. And he was referencing this eternal water that Jesus is offering us every single day. So my question to you this morning is, how thirsty are you for Jesus? Are you thirstier for Jesus than your spouse? Are you thirstier for Jesus than your career? Are you thirstier for Jesus than Netflix? Are you thirstier for Jesus than materialism or social media? In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at this well. And he says to her, Everybody who drinks from this water, from this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of living water, of eternal life. So Jesus starts by telling her that by faith, she can receive the spiritual living water where she'll never go thirsty again. But she comes back with religion and says, I just want physical water. Just give me what I came for. Just meet my needs. So we see we have many religious people that come to church and thirst for so little. 
a little pick-me-up, feel-good message, maybe some positive music, a cute guy, a cute girl. But Jesus is saying, I've come to give you everlasting life today. See, religious people say, I want something from you, God. But faithful people say, I just want you, God. Religious people say, yep, just another Sunday service. But faithful people say, I've come to meet the living God today. Religious people say, I don't like this, I don't like that, this looked off, that sent it off, why were these people raising their hands? But faithful people say, my heart is open to whatever you have to say to me today. So my question is, how thirsty are you for Jesus this morning? Are you a religious person? Or are you a person full of faith? Are you thirsty for the living God? Or do you just need a little pick-me-up? So my prayer and hope for you today, as you listen and, and, and see me extract the goal that's in this book of Ruth, that you guys will be full of faith to receive whatever the Lord has for you. So let's drink from the living word of God this morning and be satisfied. Uh, a few days ago, there was a, a pretty bad storm, um, and it was like 8 p.m., and I decided to go grocery shopping. And most people would stay in, but the thing about grocery shopping, at, in the middle of a storm, there's no one in the grocery stores. So I get, it's not busy, there's no lines. So I go to the grocery store, I come back, um, and I'm driving, and I'm almost home. I'm probably 30 seconds from my house, and I see this car stuck in the road. And right when I'm about to pass her, she's, she, she comes out and she's like, can you help me? And I was like, nope, see ya, and I just took off. <laughs> no, I actually stopped. Um, so I said, are you like stuck in the road or are you like parked there? And she said, I'm stuck. And I looked at her tires and they're completely bald. Like there's no tread at all. So I was like, okay, I, I don't know why I tried, but I went behind the car and I just tried to push it. Like a car weighs like over like, I don't know, 1,000 pounds, something like that. I don't know why I'm looking at him. Um, but yeah, so I started pushing it. It like, doesn't even move. Like Nothing happens. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't even have my, like, my gloves. My hands are freezing. And then this other car pulls over, and I'm like, yes. Other car comes, and then they start helping. It was this, I think, mother and daughter. So we all start pushing together. And this car is like not budging. And this is a tip. If your car stuck in the snow, what you want to do is you want to get well, you want to get stronger people, but you want to get, you want to get your mats that you're, you're, you're stepping on in your car and put them under your tires so you'll get traction, right? So I say, all right, let's get our mats, let's put them under the car, and let's get some traction. And so, and it's weird, like, I'm telling the lady, like, turn your wheels to the right. And she's like, people panic, and she starts going like this, and she's putting her, doing all this crazy stuff. But so I said, okay, like, let me, let me get in the car and let me do this. And so we, the car starts to move a little bit, and so there's hope. And then other people stop. This other family comes. And so we have like, I don't know, five or six. It actually looks like I wasn't doing anything. But I was. I, I took a quick picture of like what we were doing. I was like, this could be a good sermon illustration. So we had like five. That's not the reason why I stopped. I wasn't like, this is going to be a good story. All right, I swear. I swear. And so, yeah, we, we all start pushing. And finally, five, six of us, we have like three people pushing from the side and then three people pushing from the back and then finally we get the car going and she's like struggling to get out and I was like, ah, is she going to get stuck again? 
And I jokingly said to the, to the other families, I'm like, let's leave. Just don't even look that way. Let's just get out of here. Like, we're almost home. And so, in the midst of a wild storm, we decided to serve each other. We decided to commit. We decided to persevere. We decided to stick it through and not give up. We decided to be selfless instead of selfish. We decided to put down our own comfort and needs so that someone else could be built up. And for a lot of us, we don't know how to do relationships well. Many of us have been hurt. Many of us have hurt others. Many of us have given up on people during the storm. And I've had people given up on you. So there's so much brokenness and loneliness. God is going to show you through the book of Ruth how this amazing relationship forms between Ruth and Naomi and how that develops. So I'm going to unpack that for you guys. Proverbs says that if we don't form and keep good friendships, we won't make it in life. In other words, we'll make poor decisions, we won't grow in wisdom, we won't grow in character or integrity. Like we will literally be in ruins both physically, spiritually, and mentally. And some of you guys have experienced that. Science says that friendship is good for your health. When faced with major illness, whether it be physical or mental, people with good friends are in a better position to get better and survive. And some of you guys have experienced that before. Science also says that friendship reduces stress. Sometimes, I guess, right? Depending on what kind of friends you have. It releases a pleasure chemical in your brain called endorphins, which actually adds more years to your life. People that don't have a lot of friends, their lives are actually shorter. It's, these stats say this. Science also says that people with friends are just happier and more joyful. So although friendship is absolutely necessary for your flourishing, although science tells us that it's good for us, although observation experience shows us that it makes us happier, and even though scripture tells us friendship is crucial for growth, friendship often gets put at the bottom of a priority list. We just don't know how to keep and form deep friendships. And it's something that we often take for granted. And unfortunately, our culture puts physical intimacy before friendship, career before friendship, success before friendship, physical romance before friendship. Think about all the magazines in the stores, all the ones on friendship and all the ones on sexual promiscuity. Think about the music we listen to. Let's stack up all the songs that talk about friendship and all the ones that talk about sex and status and power. And although friendship is essential to our spiritual, physical, and mental health and flourishing, we often don't have an anchor point to ground us in what it takes and keep and sustain good friendships. So what the book of Ruth is going to do through the Holy Spirit, I'm hoping today, is show us some major things in what it means as followers of Jesus to keep and sustain good friendships. So this is our bottom line. There is no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick us off with some, some good old-fashioned memes. Happy, can you, can you see those? <laughs> All right, next. 
sir? All right, we're good. <laughs> that says, the look you give your friend when the teacher says, find a partner. I'll read them out for you guys. Maybe they'll be helpful. Friendship is so weird, you just pick a human you've met, and you're like, yup, I like this one. And you just do stuff with them. <laughs> All right, hopefully that was good for your guys' feelings. Um, it made me laugh, so. Oh, there's one more. Oh. When you and your friends say the same thing at the same time. All right. Okay, let's, let's jump in. Let's jump into the passage. Um, oh, is there one more? <laughs> I was like... I got, I got 10 more coming up. Um, yeah, okay, let's, yeah, let's jump in. That was good. Thanks, Josh. Uh, okay, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So try to, try to follow through with me. I'm going to unpack most of the verses. Um, and yeah, like this isn't one of those sermons where you can sort of like pass out, take a nap, and then come back in and then be like, oh yeah, Jesus, I, I kind of get it. Thankfully, Sheng's not here, so we're, we're good, guys. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. Sheng, if you're listening to this online, I love you. He had a wedding yesterday and all this stuff. Like, he didn't get married, but he was at a wedding. So he's, he's not here today as part of the groomsmen context. Um, so context matters. So let me share with you guys. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Um, so what are the day of the judges? The book right before uh, Ruth is Judges, and Ruth starts off by saying, at the end of this 400-year period where Israel was living in constant disobedience. The reoccurring theme in Judges is that God's people live in constant unfaithfulness. And then Israel would cry out to God, and God would be faithful to deliver them. This happens over and over and over again, where God raises up godly men and women, like Samson, Gideon, and Deborah, to redeem Israel back to a right relationship with God. The days in the Judges ruled were a very dark period where Israel did whatever was pleasing in their eyes. And because of Israel's disobedience, a famine came upon the land. And this is what leads us to chapter 1. All right, moving on to verse 2. The name of the man was Elimech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. So because of this famine... Elimech takes his wife and two sons to the country of Moab in hopes for a better life. There was no food because of the famine. And so they decided to move. Verse 3. Sometimes, uh, sometime after Elimech, the husband of Naomi, died, she was left with her two sons. These two Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah and the other was Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. And then Malon and Chilin died. I think that's how you pronounce it. Chilin, Chilin, I don't know. It's... Although Naomi was searching for a better life in the land of Moab, she struck with affliction and suffering by the death of her husband. Moreover, Ruth and Orpah both lose their husbands as well. So all three are left widowed. And in the ancient times, to be left childish, 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 or to, to be left as a childish widow was in the lowest of the lowest socially and economically. You had such a disadvantage that the widow might have better off not even being alive. You had no support, no one to lead the family, no legacy. 
you're constantly living off the welfare of strangers. They were in the midst of the most desperate situation of their lives. And that's no exaggeration. If you didn't have husband or kids in that time, you were basically done for. And they didn't just leave each other when times got tough and searched for something better. They stuck it out and they persevered and committed to each other for at least the next decade. And the reason why the church has so little influence on the world is because the world has so much influence in our churches. And our culture has this warped, selfish, individualistic, consumeristic mentality when it comes to relationships. And this has leaked into our churches. Culture says relationships are there to meet your needs and your happiness. In other words, when it comes to relationships, we treat them like consumers. A lot of us say, I'll be here as long as you're here for me. I'll meet your needs as long as you meet my needs. I'll make you happy as long as you make me happy. But if things start to get a little rough, if there's conflict, if you hurt me, I'm just out of here. And some of you have done that to other people, and other people have done that to you. The world says relationships are there to serve me. But God says relationships are there so you can serve them. The world says, when things get tough, quit. But God says, when things get tough, persevere. The world says, be there only for the good times. But God says, the test of, true, of a true healthy relationship is being there for the bad times. And then verse 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out, she set out to the place where she, where, she, where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi is in the land of Moab, where she hears that God has favor upon the land. And Judah, and Judah, and God is giving them bread. So she hears of God's goodness, trusts that God will provide, and then obeys God by starting this difficult journey back to her homeland. But before she heads back, she does something incredibly hard and sacrificial. And this leads us to verse 8 and 9. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, that each of you in your house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So picture them embracing each other and weeping as if this was going to be the last time that they saw each other. And I love this about Naomi, because this shows, this shows such character and boldness as a woman of God. Naomi, out of her godly wisdom and selfish, selflessness, loves, uh, selfless love, tells her two daughters, in-law to stay in the land of Moab. Since there, they would have a much stronger support system and family ties there. Think about what Naomi is doing right here. She has no husband, no grandchildren. Now she's willing to give up her daughters-in-law in a sacrificial way to have a better life. Not only does she want them to stay in the land of Moab, she actually prays and blesses them so that, they can re be, so that they can remarry and live a fulfilled and flourished life. 
Moreover, Naomi wants her two daughters, or, and then she kisses them and she weeps. Them weeping together was this strong sign that they had a deep, intimate relationship with each other. Think about it. Naomi loses her husband. Oprah and Ruth lose their husbands. And they live together for the next decade in desperation, instability, and uncertainty about their future. All they had was each other. And they committed to being selfless during that time. Uh, For me, one of my favorite sports, and I usually play two, three times a week, is basketball. I love the competition. I love the cardio. And I, I love how you're constantly learning and growing every single time you play. And I also love how the Raptors are going to be the 2019 NBA championships this year. (laughs) Come on, somebody. (laughs) And when I first started playing basketball, it was really hard. And I was really bad. And my friends would always pick me. I'd be be that extra person that they just needed to play. And it made me so frustrated because I'm a pretty competitive person. And so what I decided to do was to go to, I went to the gym. I work out at LA Fitness. And I went there every single morning, literally, at 6 or 7 a.m., and I practiced for hours and hours and hours and hours, for two years straight. Layup after layup, thousands of missed practice shots, injury after injury, I persevered. But I got better. I kept pushing past the difficult times, and I put in the work. This made me more refined, and more complete as a basketball player. And most of us, when it comes to relationships, when things get tough, instead of persevering and fighting through those difficult times, you end up giving up. And the only way you will ever become the friend you are supposed to be, and the only way the other person is supposed to be the friend that they are supposed to be, is if you stick it through the tough times and persevere and grow together. And you already know this, but we often don't live it out. How many of you have gone through a difficult season in your friendship or marriages or your workplaces, and instead of sticking it through, you gave up, you abandoned. You didn't talk to them about it. You didn't lovingly try to build them up. Rather, you said, this is inconvenience or inconvenient. This is not what I signed up for. How could they hurt me like that? and then you don't forgive. Think about couples. Married people don't look at each other and say, honey, I'm just so glad that you were there with me through all the good times. You never left me, you're always there, and I could always count on you through the fun. No, couples say, man, we've gone through storm after storm after storm, and you were there for me. You were my best friend. We persevered, we loved unconditionally and sacrificially. You see, a lot of marriages end because couples don't persevere. And I'm not talking about abusive, unrepentant relationships where somebody is hurting the other person over and over and over again. And these lists of justifications, and even though they made a covenant, even though they said through thick and thin, even though they said till death do us part, even though they said I'll be there through every single storm that comes at us, When the storms actually come, they leave. They weren't in it to love and serve the other person. They they were in it for themselves and their own happiness and their own needs. And the acid test of whether your spouse is actually there for you 
or just using you to a means to an end, and that's their own needs and own happiness, is if they're there for you through the bad times. And Ruth and Naomi were there for each other. Would you be willing to persevere and commit to that degree, putting aside your own needs, your own comfort, your own convenience, and to persevere means I will stand by you no matter what. I'll persevere through the most difficult times, the storms of having children, the storms of financial stress, the storms of sickness, the storms of being sinned against, the storms when I sin against you. Paul says the only way that you will grow is if you persevere through this suffering because this builds character. This will make you and your spouse more like Jesus. And as time goes on and on, and as you weather those storms together, your marriage will become more and more beautiful. And then we move on to verse 10 and 13. And they, and they said to her, No, we will, return to you, to your, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that I may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband, this time, and should I bear sons? Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So when Naomi says, Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? In ancient times, if a young wife like Orpah or Ruth were widowed, it was up to Ruth, or it was up to Naomi to give them her sons as surrogate husbands. But she says, I'm too old now, and I can't even have sons. And even if I did, it would take way too long for them to grow up. So what, is, what she's trying to do is convince them to go back to her homeland of safety and stability and security. And then again, they lifted up their voices and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So verse 14 again shows us how deep and intimate their bond was. They lifted up their voices and wept again. And the future of Orpah and Ruth were uncertain. You see, Orpah had a decision to make. She could either stay with Ruth or stay with Ruth and Naomi or go back to her homeland and pursue status, career, success, and romance. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying uh, that she loved Naomi less than Ruth, but what I'm saying, she had an opportunity to do something better and she ended up leaving. She might have wept, she might have been heartbroken, but at the end of the day, she ended up choosing comfort over her relationship with Ruth and Naomi. And how many of you guys are like Orpah? How many of you guys have been in situations where you chose your own comfort, and you chose your own needs, and you chose your own convenience over someone else? And if you're living like Orpah and you're sitting in this room, you've abandoned somebody out of pride or selfishness, I would encourage you to go and confess that to the Lord and reconcile, like break the hold of that bitterness and that resent and anger that you constantly feel when you hear that person or see that person. Don't give the enemy that kind of power. Because the world will never know Jesus if we don't love like Jesus. And the world has a definition of relationships 
but they need a new definition by the church that is being lived out. And how can people taste Jesus? How can people see Jesus? And how can people be attracted to Jesus when they see churchgoers goers acting like the world, talking like the world, and loving just like the world? Christians are the main instrument in which the world gets to experience the goodness and faithfulness and peace and joy and hope and love of Jesus. And this has to start within the church, within our families, within our marriages, within our close relationships. If we can't even get this right, we won't be able to show the world something different. And we'll be held accountable for that. So are you living a life worthy of that gospel? Can you say with confidence that you are living out your relationships like this every single day? Are you an Oprah this morning? Or are you a Ruth? And the climax to this chapter comes here in, in verse 15 to 18, which Michelle read out. <coughs> and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Wherever you will go, I will go. Wherever you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anyone, anything but death, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. When Ruth says, for wherever you will go, I will go. Wherever you will lodge, I will lodge. This was like an amazing show of commitment and loyalty. Uh, When somebody joins the army, they often feel isolated, alone, scared, maybe even almost regretting that they came. At least for the first few months, they try to prove on their own that they're capable, strong, and competent. They often put in training situations where they realize that they can't rely on their own capabilities. For one example, there's this wall that they have to scale, and they can't do it on their own. They need the help of every other person. And this is purposeful. And this is a fact. When those who are in the army say, like, when you ask them, why would they risk their lives every single day? They don't say they do it for the medals. They don't say they do it for their own glory. When they're asked, why are you willing to risk your life for someone else? They all say the same thing. I'm willing to risk my life for that person because I know they would do it for me. They were committed to each other no matter what, even if it would cost them their lives. Like, what did you guys want friends like this? Someone so committed to you that no matter what the circumstances were, they're willing to say, no matter what the cost, because I know you would do it for me. Do you have a Ruth in your life? The reason why so many of us don't have a Ruth in our lives is because we haven't been a Ruth to somebody else. And unfortunately, a lot of our mentality is, I'm here for my convenience and my comfort. And if I have to choose my own life and my needs, I choose those instead. 
And a friendship can never be what it's supposed to be if two people are just using each other as a means to an end. This is how much Ruth loved Naomi. She is willing to say, I'm so committed to you. I'm willing to be here for you no matter how hard things get, no matter what my future looks like, and no matter what the cost. Some of you are like, well, that's hard. And you're right, it takes an incredible amount of energy and time and patience and forgiveness and intentionality and godly character and integrity to be able to trust someone so much and say, I'm committed to you no matter what. And this was the heart behind Ruth. You will never have a Ruth in your life until you start being a Ruth to other people. For Ruth to say, I will go wherever you, uh, I will go wherever you go, was already a noble and amazing statement. But she goes even further. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. She wasn't just changing addresses or zip codes. Ruth was renouncing her pagan religion and abandoning her traditions. This would have set her family in Moab and the people she grew up with to possibly despise her. To leave a religion that your family has grown up and adopted didn't just mean a change of religions, it meant betrayal. Yet Ruth says, your people shall be my people and your God my God. What would have influenced Ruth in such a way that she was willing to renounce family, tradition, comfort, and a secure future? It was the way Naomi lived and loved like Jesus. And nothing will preach Jesus louder than the way that you live and love people. You can throw doctrine at people. You can throw philosophy at people. You can throw arguments at people and the fear of hell at people. But nothing changes the heart tangibly when they experience and taste and see that Jesus is good through you. You can talk about the goodness of Jesus, but not until people experience the goodness of Jesus through you will they change. You can talk about the forgiveness of Jesus, but not until they experience forgiveness through you will they change. You can talk about the sacrificial love of Jesus, but not until they experience it through you will they change. So this means we have to love like Naomi at our workplaces, at home. This means we are committed to our marriages and friendships like Ruth. If I were to ask you guys, or ask your neighbors and your classmates, or your friends, coworkers, family members, if they knew, if they knew that you're like, if they knew that you were a genuine follower of Jesus, or if I asked them if, if, if you were, what would they say? In other words, are you living a life so radically filled with the love, hope, peace, and security of Jesus that people can tangibly taste and see him? And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone or, or people here. I'm showing you a standard that God, God calls us to live every single day. Are you living a life worthy of the gospel? Does it sound like your life? Is your life filled with joy? Or are you anxious all the time? Is your life filled with peace? Or are you always depressed and worried? Is your life filled with such resilience to love your enemies? Or is it filled with anger and spite and unforgiveness? Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, forgive your enemies. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. 
Are you doing this today? Are you acting just like the world? All right, to conclude. I'm like 15 minutes early. (laughs) In John 15, 15, right before Jesus was about to be crucified and killed, he tells his disciples that there is no greater love than this when someone lays down his life for somebody. This is what real friendship and relationship is about. So and I call you my friends, and I'm about to go lay my life down for you. The story of Ruth and Naomi is supposed to point us to a better and ultimate Ruth and Naomi. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, leaves heaven where he had the ultimate, perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit, where they were loving and enjoying each other for all eternity, to become killable. Jesus leaves heaven where he's being worshipped by the friends of a hundred million angels to be born in a feed trough. Naomi left her home at the cost of comfort, but Jesus left heaven at the cost of his life. Ruth and Naomi both suffer, but Jesus on the cross endures the ultimate suffering. He bears the heavy weight of all of our sins and all of our hells and all the wrath that we were due. Naomi and Ruth wept together because they thought they would be physically separated. But Jesus on the cross experienced real separation. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no one. No one to hug him. No one to weep for him. Jesus Christ was the ultimate friend. How much more committed do you need someone to be? He experienced hell for you. How much more open and vulnerable do you need someone to be? He was stripped naked and nailed to a cross for you. How much more sacrificial and loyal do you need someone to be? He forgives you, even when you constantly abandon him and turn your backs on him. How much more do you need someone to show you perseverance and commitment? For neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of this present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor height, nor depth, Anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. He's our king. He's our savior. He's our friend. And only until you see how great a friend Jesus has been to you and me will you then be able to be a friend to somebody else. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, for being the ultimate friend. The story of Ruth and Naomi is is an amazing story of commitment and perseverance. But this points us to the ultimate friend, Jesus Christ. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was taken in the middle of the night. And then he was crucified on a cross. He did this for us. Even when we were his enemies, even when we didn't want him, he did this for us. He says, Father, forgive them. If they do not know what they're doing. So my prayer is, we would see Jesus, 
that we would fall in love with them every single day by word, by prayer, by community, by body life group. And this would be our ultimate hope, our ultimate security, our ultimate friend, so that we can be friends to other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon. Thank you.